This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Well, hello there, Mr. Wes. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Dude, thank you for coming on, man. I, I'm excited because I don't know you very well, right? And so uh, now that doesn't mean I haven't heard some of your story before, but I remember nothing. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm, I'm supposed to remember nothing. So, which I'm really appreciative of. I was telling Darcy earlier because he's not in our program. So he's, no, he's not in the club. Yeah, he's not in the club, but we're going to let him be a part of it because he's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, he's already a part of it. But I was telling him that um, I can't remember, like so, some people I'll walk into them and be like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. And they'll be like, dude, I did my fifth step with you like two months ago. But I, I honestly like draw a blank and I thank the good Lord for that. So yeah, so I draw a totally blank. So tell us, man, tell us about yourself. Uh, okay. Um, I'm Wes. Uh, I am an addict and an alcoholic. Um, one thing that uh, I've come to realize is that I was born an addict and an alcoholic. Mm. I don't, certainly didn't realize it for a big portion of my life and I was Mm -hmm. in denial about it. But today I really genuinely believe that that's how I was born. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, uh, I'm the son of an alcoholic. Uh, I'm the grandson of two alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, you know, um, my first, Experiences with alcohol, right to my last experiences with alcohol, and uh, several in between. Um, tell me that uh, that I'm an alcoholic mm-hmm. when I have this perspective to step back and actually look at it. Yeah. Um, but of course, in the in the middle of it, um, yeah, I would have uh, very mm-hmm. much very much denied it. And part yeah. of it was that I didn't know what an alcoholic was. You know, I thought an mm-hmm. alcoholic was based on. How much someone drank mm-hmm. or how frequently someone drank or what someone gained or lost due to drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, well, there was times where I would drink frequently and a lot. Um, there was also times where I wouldn't drink as frequently or as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still as much an alcoholic um, yeah. th- throughout all of it, just like I'm an alcoholic today. Because, you know, um, today I know it's about my relationship with alcohol. Uh, it's not about, uh, you know, any of those quantities or specifics. Yeah. It's, you know, it comes down to the uh, 
the degree of control mm -hmm. that I had over alcohol and uh, the truth was alcohol had control over me. Okay. I, I did not control it. It it was my master. I mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I had not figured it out. Despite I can relate a, to that. You know, <laughs> a limited lifetime of trying to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't. So um, I talk about my story and my journey. I, um, yeah. you know, I think about all, all the kind of the emotions, the different uh, things that I've struggled with and had to learn to manage or learn mm -hmm. to overcome and it's all part of my my journey and it's important and it's all things I've had to do mm -hmm. to learn to be a sober person learn to be someone in recovery learn to just be a basic human being mm -hmm. um, but none of those things had to None of those things caused my alcoholism. None of those things, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't believe that, uh, you know, my alcoholism is a result of too much drinking or a result of trauma or a mm -hmm. result of, you know, uh, you hear it so often today where people mm -hmm. talk about, I think the latest one was the Game of Thrones star went went to rehab and, you know, you, you hear this person, that person, it's always, oh, well, you know, they couldn't handle the fame, they couldn't handle this, they couldn't handle that, you know, therefore giving the implication or sometimes just flat out stating mm -hmm. that some kind of uh some kind of emotional or some kind of situation caused addiction and for mm -hmm. me it was just you know um yeah it was my genes it was whatever it was it was how i was born mm. um so yeah going back to my first drink just kind of thinking about that kind of the the defining moment um there was five of us um one of uh, my friends had snuck uh, alcohol to grade eight school camp it was mm -hmm. a mixture of uh i don't know if it was diet or not but it was root beer about half root beer and half uh white bacardi rum and uh, to this day i still get nauseous when i smell white bacardi rum <laughs> i just you know <laughs> one of those things that made an early impression yeah no doubt man and um so it was mixed about 50 50 and there mm -hmm. was five of us standing in a circle Little and, flames out your mouth with that, eh? Uh, yeah, it was like, it was a little harsh, but uh, I didn't know any better at the time. So, mm -hmm. um, and I can just remember uh, everyone was just taking little sips to kind of look cool. Yeah. And the first time it came to me, I was surprised at how, you know, <laughs> oh my god, this is fire water. This is why they call it fire water. It's it's harsh. And it burns. The second time it got to me, um, I think part of it was that I was trying to impress the uh, the girls that were there. But part of it, I just likened to a a hand inside my stomach that mm. just reached up through my throat and grabbed it and said, "Drink more." Mm. Um, Whoa, you know it. <laughs> it was weird, but I just had this compulsion to start gulping. Mm. And uh, although there was five of us there, I, I think I probably drank three quarters of it. Yeah. Um, Maybe not. I drank enough that uh, later I uh, I was throwing up everywhere, and I uh, got sent home from school camp and uh, suspended, mm -hmm. and just about expelled. Um, and I remember on the drive back from camp, just being so scared and thinking about getting kicked out of my school, and thinking about how angry my parents were going to be, and just thinking, you know, like what the hell just happened, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and how how 
just how out of control and dumb and stupid it was. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks later, or maybe three weeks later, I was uh, drinking gin at lunch hour mm-hmm. out of a uh, Tupperware container that my girlfriend had stole from her um, parents' liquor cabinet. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, off to the races. That was that. Yeah. Once it hit the lips, eh? Yeah. 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 It just uh, seemed like the seemed like the best thing ever. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, even just looking back, thinking about it, you know, there was certainly a time where getting hammered, there was just, there was nothing better in the world than that. Um, it, uh, quieted the voices, it gnawed the, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the restless, irritable discontent, but you know, that those, those fingers scratching at my chest that just, it, it quieted it all down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even for a short period, everything felt okay. Yeah. It was always a, a very thin zone, you know. It was kind of the everything was okay and then then things quickly got out of control. Mm-hmm. And uh but yet I was always searching for that, you know. That happy buzz, that that, you know, I don't know. That ten drink drunk. Yeah. And if I could uh could have stayed in the ten drink drunk, um I would have lived a very sad life because mm-hmm. I would have done that all the time. I would have never dealt with any problems i would have continued a life mm-hmm. of running away from things and i would have spent as much time as i could in that tent drink drunk so mm-hmm. um fuck you i never looked at it like that you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know as as much as uh sometimes i you That's know i look back to the to the alcoholism and look back to the pain i've caused and wish i wasn't and you know mm-hmm. um if uh if i wasn't i would have definitely just uh lived a, a life of avoiding things mm. um so um lucky for me that wasn't a choice <laughs> yeah, nice well you put it that way <laughs> uh i grew up uh here in calgary so okay hometown kid born and raised here yep born and nice. raised um i made a couple of brief attempts to move away it uh never lasted or amounted to much um there was there was always opportunity um and mm. Yeah, people back here. Um, today, it's it's weird seeing people, you know, knowing people moving away from Calgary. Mm. Before my entire life, I'm used to people moving to Calgary. Coming here, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's just a sign of the times. Yeah, things change, right? Um, yeah, grew up in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were both unhealthy people. I have trouble... Today, even just talking about it, like I, I feel guilty. I feel like I need to defend them. I, you know, mm. kind of the whole, yeah, you know, it's difficult to, to talk about my my parents and my childhood without feeling weird and guilty. Yeah. Um, Only what you're comfortable with, man. They both loved me. Yeah. They both tried as best they could. Um, my, my mom, um, has uh has some significant mental health issues mm-hmm. um um bipolar being one of them and um you know she she was in denial about that yeah. um as a result my uh you know my house wasn't a horrible place but it was a very unpredictable place mm-hmm. um you know sometimes uh everything would be okay and sometimes just out of the blue uh 
screaming, yelling. Um, I remember a lot, um, always being afraid that my mom was going to leave. It was mm-hmm. something that she would threaten frequently. Um, when she got upset, she'd blame it on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, just my earliest, some of my earliest memories and kind of my childhood memories are, are being afraid, being mm-hmm. uncertain. Yeah. And, um, that certainly is carried, uh, carried throughout my life. Um, my dad, uh, passed away, um, just last October. Um, oh, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. He was, uh, 87. So, mm-hmm. um, he was definitely older when he had me. Um, he was in the program. Okay. Um, he, um, you know, died sober. Um, something I'm, I'm very proud of and grateful of. Yeah. Um, bet you he was proud too, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, unfortunately, uh, when I was pretty young, I think still in elementary, he started having strokes. Hmm. Um, he, uh, you know, went off disability, uh, went on to disability mm-hmm. and then never worked again. Um, he, uh, started taking a lot of painkillers, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, sooner or later, I mean, it, it certainly there's legitimate, uh, legitimate needs mm-hmm. and legitimate concerns there. But, you know, just, uh, I, I grew up with a dad who was not well, uh, physically and, uh, taking painkillers all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh. You know, I don't have a lot of memories of my dad as a healthy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, when I when I think back, uh, I you know I, I look at him as a. I, I remember him as kind of a, a an ill and uh, physically weak person, mm-hmm. and um, that makes me sad. You know, like when I think back and think of my dad uh, passing away, um, I kind of miss him, but it's almost like I, I don't miss the dad I knew. I miss mm-hmm. the dad of my early childhood. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I had had more time with that man and mm-hmm. got to know him better. Um, that's yeah, it's hard watching life. somebody suffer, though. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, especially someone you love. It's part of life, and it's uh, just yeah. uh, you know his journey, and you know he was uh, fifty-one when he had me, so he was. Wow, that's old, eh? Yeah, like that's old. Right yes. on. Yeah. Yes, I had friends uh, growing up whose uh, grandparents were uh, a couple of years younger than than my dad. And your dad, eh? Yeah. Obviously, your dad was a stud then. Like that's. Yeah. Right. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it doesn't happen over fifty for a reason, right? Like for most of us, we just it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. From uh, not going to get into it, but from what I heard, mm-hmm. he was uh, he was pretty wild and crazy in in his yeah. younger years, and uh, he was a very intelligent and capable man Mm -hmm. and uh the fact that he lived to have me that Mm -hmm. alone was nothing short of a miracle and um yeah he had a couple of kicks at the program and uh you know he he had decades of sobriety uh when when, uh when he passed so Mm -hmm. um yeah pretty uh I didn't mean Pretty that cool disparagingly guy. about no. your dad, man. Because at no. 51, that's a big, that's kind of a big deal. Yep. As a dude, I'm like, word? <laughs> <laughs> For me, it had the opposite effect because I uh, mm-hmm. I had kids young and I yeah. just I wanted to, you know, make sure that uh, mm-hmm. 
I was, uh, I was around to be a big part of their life and around to enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe be a grandkid or a grandparent by 51. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you might be, I guess. Hey, eh? I, I don't know how old you are now. And I am 36. And your kids are nine and 11. Okay. So you could be a grandparent before. Yeah, you. I don't know. I, yeah. Hopefully they. <laughs> yeah, we hope that it doesn't happen like arbitrarily, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you never know. Yeah. Um. So anyway, kind of got a uh, little little sidetracked. Yeah, but, uh, I, I sidetracked you, man. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's I don't know why people talk to me. Because <laughs> well, it's fun. Yeah, I guess it's fun. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it's fun if uh, if not for for anyone else's mm-hmm. benefit. Uh, you know, I can at least enjoy it. <laughs> at least we can enjoy it, eh? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you were talking about your dad and I, I just said at 51, that's when he had you. And, yeah. And so anyway, my, uh, growing up, um, there was no alcohol in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a scared little boy. Um, you know, I, I grew up a very afraid child. Um, my home wasn't always the most predictable, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, you know, there's, Certainly, I don't want to, you know, people had it a lot worse than I did. For sure. But, uh, you know, I, it, there certainly wasn't certainty in my house. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, I don't know if my dad, you know, some days I didn't know if he was going to live or die. I didn't know, you know, like whether he was going to see me graduate or not. Um, there was times where I, I didn't think he was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was going to be around when I graduated yeah. high school. Um, and oddly enough, uh, well, he certainly lived a lot longer. He uh, was too ill to actually come to my graduation. Um, and my mom, you know, um, just was not, unfortunately, emotionally stable. Um, my friends never liked coming to my house. It was mm-hmm. kind of, it was messy. It was chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd always go to other people's houses. Um, other people's parents uh, would have parties, would socialize, mm-hmm. you know. I saw that, and uh, my parents didn't have a lot of friends, didn't have a lot of mm. social. Um, so pretty early on, my young alcoholic mind put the two together and said, mm-hmm. well, um, these other people are social and seem to have it together, and they all drink, mm-hmm. and my parents don't drink, and uh, you know, yeah. my, my house is not nearly as fun of a place, therefore, mm-hmm. the difference must be alcohol. That's a good conclusion. Yeah. So, um, by high school, I knew that I drank differently than other people. Mm. Um, I was very unpredictable. Um, there were some times where I'd be quite fun and have mm. a good night and, you know, might even call myself charming. Mm. Um, things went well. And then some nights, things were a complete disaster. Yeah. I would disappear from a party and show up in my underwear, bleeding from my face with jewelry in my hand, screaming about a gun. Mm. Or I would end up uh, at a house party in the corner crying for no mm. apparent reason. Like, I was just completely unpredictable and unstable. Um, and I knew that. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> I didn't want to admit to myself, but yeah. I could tell. I, you know, I looked at my friends and I'm like, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Some of them were, uh, you know, were, were budding alcoholics and addicts, but they, you know, I didn't know anyone that was as unstable and as unpredictable as me. Yeah. Um, so I kind of actually set out my mission to learn to drink normally. 
Like mm. that was kind of, you know, in my head, looking back, it was a matter of, I'm going to learn how to figure this out. Yeah. I'm going to learn how to control this. And then, then I will be social. Then mm. I will be popular. Then I will whatever. Mm. Um, All you of know, the above. Yes. Yeah. You know, then I will be okay. Yeah. Um, I had excuses in my head as to why I was different too. Mm. Um, I, uh, had a lot of behavior problems in school and, uh, I was moved to a, uh, they did some testing on me and then I got moved mm-hmm. to a, a gifted school for kids with behavior problems. Yeah. So, you know, for a while there, part of my excuse was, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm gifted, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Therefore, uh, you know, that's why I'm different than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Or I, um, had a, a variety of, of, of different excuses that tried to explain why I was different, but deep down I just knew that I was, I was different and different from absolutely everyone, you know, um, whatever environment I would be in, I was different from the other kids on the sports teams. I was Mm -hmm. different from the kids in my class. I was different from the people I drank and partied with. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I never fit in, but I never even fit in and it sounds cliche, but it fit in in my own skin. I just, Mm -hmm. something was, was always off. Junior high, I also started some, well, it was actually a little earlier than that, started some um, self-destructive behavior. Mm. Um, not something I talk very much about, but uh, what better on a uh, public forum than... <laughs> That's going to be on the internet forever. Why yeah. would you not choose this forum? <laughs> um, I, uh, I discovered that, uh, that cutting myself felt mm. good. Um, I did not, uh, start out with just a, a plastic, uh, or not a plastic, but a little modeling knife, exacto mm-hmm. knife I had for yeah. car models that you cut up and paint. And, uh, um, you know, I had no idea at the time, mm-hmm. but, you know, looking back now, I know that that was kind of, you know, the, I had all this emotional uncertainty and pain yeah. and just, you know, um, I cut myself, it had a, a physical, yeah. manifestation you know there, there was something there that was real and that you know at least that i could understand why i was in pain mm-hmm. whereas before it was just this nebulous kind of confusing thing that uh you know i, I mm-hmm. couldn't understand why i felt so bad and i always wanted to cry and i just you know uh hurt deep down so um yeah i uh you know started just doing things to mm-hmm. to hurt myself um <clears throat> And that, uh, you know, that became, uh, became very reckless, you know, mm-hmm. early on, like when I was in my teenage years, I'd do stuff, you know, like intentionally cut myself and I quickly realized that that was, there was a lot of social stigma around that. That mm-hmm. was pretty embarrassing. Um, so I stopped doing that. I just started doing really reckless things where I would inevitably mm-hmm. get hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I played a lot of sports and I would play them with just, mm-hmm. Complete abandon, you know, going to the corner with my head down mm-hmm. kind of thing, just knowing that I'm going to get hurt and not caring, yeah. almost kind of being okay with it. Um, so I made it through high school, went to university. Mm-hmm. Um, by, yeah, my first, first or second year, early in university, I was already living with a girlfriend and fighting about my drinking. Hmm. Um, you know, I, 
still a, technically a teenager. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was already, I'd already had a couple of, uh, relationships go south because of mm. drugs or alcohol. Um, mine never went south for any other reason. Yeah. <laughs> I can guarantee it. <laughs> Lots of other excuses, but that's probably right. Mm-hmm. Deep, deep down, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> None of them ever had a chance. I don't know. Sometimes maybe I think I might have gotten in the way before the mm. drugs and alcohol could have <laughs> could drive them away. But uh, certainly, yeah, there was uh, there You're was like, a zero percent chance. You to my personality. Yes. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. So you know, by by nineteen, I uh, was already fighting with a girlfriend about not drinking. Mm. Um, I remember at one point she uh, this point too early on, um, I had already known the mental health system quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I started getting take. I don't know when I first saw a psychiatrist, but I want to say six or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would do these these family therapy things and individuals and, you know, it very much, I learned very much early on that to identify myself as mentally ill because something mm-hmm. was obviously wrong with me because I was always mm-hmm. seeing uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. Um and nothing makes you feel healthy, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think I I, I was I had some form of mental health involvement or counseling mm-hmm. or something from like the age of six to the age of, well, geez, vast majority of my life, almost yeah. into, re- you know, well into recovery. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, even though I was in university, I was still seeing a uh, psychiatrist slash psychologist and uh, at one point, my uh, girlfriend got worried enough to me, worried enough that she kind of came to one of my appointments and spilled the beans. Mm-hmm. And the psychologist and psychiatrist uh, told me that uh, she was going to phone the police if I didn't go and voluntarily check myself into the Peter Lougheed. Mm. So um, I went there and, you know, I took the letter and told them whatever went to the mental health slash addictions, mm-hmm. whatever whatever unit they have there told them I was fine for 48 hours in in a row. And then they, you know, they, they have, uh, they don't have time to deal with people who say they're fine. There's there's enough other people there. So, so they let me go when I was off to my merry way. But, uh, at this point I was, uh, fighting with my girlfriend about, uh, not drinking and not using. And, um, I can remember, uh, being at a, uh, a party. And of course I was just, I didn't really not want to drink. Mm. I wanted to keep drinking. I just didn't want to make her mad and mm. lose her at the time. Yeah. Um, so there I am at a party with everyone drinking, not drinking, and just going absolutely crazy. Um, Dude, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> it was, you know, like... <laughs> Tame it out there and, uh, you know, iPod. Somebody would have died. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, <laughs> well, someone almost did die. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, man, I bet you this girl is in a good direction. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Good you know, direction. if uh, if you want to quit drinking, don't, and you're having trouble with it, don't hang around environments where everyone's drinking. Well, that's fair advice, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obvious guy says. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I'm just, I can't contain myself. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I'd already had a couple of times where I said I wasn't going to drink and then I ended up getting drunk. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I was on certainly my last straw. Um, and I uh, saw so there was a mountain bike in the corner. Mm-hmm. And I just suddenly decided, I announced, I yelled it out loud and everyone looked at me. I'm like, I'm going to ride the mountain bike down a set of stairs. And um, 
yeah, so I, I, I get to the the top of the stairs of the mountain bike, and it runs around me, and they're like, yeah, this will be a great, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I look at it, and I just know that I'm not going to make it. Yeah. I look at it, and it's just like, this This is a horrible idea. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having second thoughts. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of think about, well, do, do I... Do I get off the bike? Do I go back inside? Do I? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that good old message, uh, that good old voice inside my head that uh, that I've heard many a time just said, fuck it. Oh. I don't care. Ah. You know, good old fuck it. Um, went down the stairs. Uh, pretty spectacular crash. Broke my neck in a couple places. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, kept trying to walk until I couldn't feel my legs. Um, hospitalization, mm-hmm. you know, um, neck collar, you know, basically at that point, um, yeah, hurting myself and almost dying was mm-hmm. better than being sober <laughs> and, yeah. and not drinking in that environment. Um, and that was a turning point for me. Um, and you think obvious guy turning point is there's a lesson to be learned here. But the turning point for me was that now I had an almost unlimited supply of painkillers. Mm-hmm. So uh, after about three weeks of being scared shitless and physically weak, mm-hmm. it uh, very quickly changed to me drinking, playing video games, taking ridiculous amounts of high-grade painkillers mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis um and uh that started uh, my love affair with prescription drugs mm-hmm. which uh even after i was out of the neck brace and uh you know um continued for quite a while yeah um it's hard to kick that shit man it was yeah it was and uh it's easy to be in denial about it too oh. when uh when that bottle says my name mm-hmm. on the uh on the prescription, mm-hmm. uh, even though I've gone to four different doctors and lied to all four of them, somehow it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's different. You know, this yep. is, uh, this is legit. I can show this to a police and it will be okay. Totally. Um, me being scared all the time too. I was very scared and not trusting and looking back for good reason mm-hmm. of drug dealers. Yep. So street drugs always you know, I was certainly not morally above them, um, although I did like to look down on other people from mm-hmm. time to time. Um, still kind of do. It's a bad yeah. habit. <laughs> <laughs> it's really oh, a bad habit for me because I feel so inferior all the time. That's really the problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, that uh, you know kept me away mm-hmm. from uh, a lot of a lot of. Uh, the street drugs, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, opening the world to prescription certainly, uh, yeah. you know, it, uh, it's got quality controls and labs and it comes from a, a pharmacy, you know, my, mm-hmm. my drug dealer is now wearing a white coat. So, yeah. um, great. Um, so despite all this and, you know, this kind of insanity and social and emotional dysfunction, um, I managed to get a couple of university degrees, managed mm-hmm. to get a job, um, you know, uh, so I guess, uh, from, from the, uh, 30,000, uh, you know, uh, 
30,000 feet view. Um, mm. My life was still going okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I was following the, the expected path for a, you know, kid growing up, going to, going to high school, playing mm-hmm. on sports teams, getting a university degree, getting a second university degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my wife uh, at a pub crawl. Um, about a year. No. Not too long. A uh, year and a half, I think, after breaking my neck, maybe two mm-hmm. years, yeah. I, I met her uh, on a pub crawl. Um, I proposed to her very quickly. Um, I, uh, rightly so, knew that I was never going to do better than her. Mm-hmm. She was fun. She was pretty. She liked me for some reason. Um, and all the selfish parts of my brain mm-hmm. said, tie her up. You're not going to do better, Wes. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, did it for, the, did the right thing for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, uh, proposed to her, I think after four or five months, um, yeah, no, five months. I don't know why they say alcoholics are impulsive. I don't get her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five months is like, that's waiting a long time for an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah, God, if, uh, you know, right. <laughs> think of my kids in the same situation. I just be like, you know, what are you doing? You yeah. idiots. But, uh, <laughs> you anyway. got lucky though. I got lucky. Yeah. Uh, I got a good one and she, uh, stuck around long enough to save my life. Um, mm. or help save my life. Um, which, uh, yeah, wouldn't have happened had I not been so selfish. <laughs> um, and impulsive. Yes. And impulsive. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we got married. Um, what was it? drunken ass at my own wedding something i still feel bad about to this day um missed the first dance with my wife because i was outside drinking and smoking with my buddies Mm um yeah just dumb stuff um i'm not a violent person sober Mm -hmm. um but uh when I was drinking, I would, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I would get very unpredictable. And, uh, that started to, uh, started to increase and start to happen more and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like more and more violence escalated yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just kind of scarier situations mm-hmm. where, you know, it was just kind of, you know, start with a, a fist fight or something dumb to, yeah. you know, more, uh, more serious, uh, mm-hmm. more serious situations. Um, another big change happened when my uh, wife turned 30. Mm-hmm. She was, uh, is, um, six and a half years older than me. Um, no plans on kids. I knew I was nowhere close enough to be responsible enough to mm-hmm. have kids. Uh, kids was a bad idea. She turned 30 and her biological clock went ding. <laughs> and uh, it was like, you know, we need babies now. Um, oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Um, so even though I knew I wasn't ready, I knew it was a bad idea. Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do it. And, uh, of course, uh, had uh, two kids 18 months apart um, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. 
Um, my kids as infants scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how they don't scare the shit out of everybody though. Yeah. Uh, that's true. And I think, I think they do, but, yeah. um, with me, um, I couldn't be left alone with them. Hmm. Like I would start having anxiety attacks. I would, wow. uh, you know, um, wasn't until after I was sober that I actually learned to take care of them on my own. Like, mm-hmm. I think the longest I was ever alone with them was, was like an hour, yeah. um, which was very selfish and very hard on my wife. But mm-hmm. um, my fears were just that intense that I would start to get trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. I would start to get disoriented. I'd, uh, you know, like I would have full-blown panic attacks. Yeah. Um, and part of it, I think, was just the whole inferiority complex the fact that you mm-hmm. know i'm i'm not good enough i can't figure this out and um fuck i feel that man <laughs> <laughs> i'm like yeah i'm with you <laughs> you know uh and i don't know part of it was uh yeah you know not not being just not being ready mm-hmm. and not being in a in a healthy mental state um So, I missed the birth of my second son, Owen, because mm-hmm. um, I was in Fort McMurray, um, working at the time. Yeah. And um, in Fort McMurray, I uh, got into a, a very alcoholic habit where I would work for three weeks, and I was in a sober camp, mm-hmm. and you know, um, work long days, and generally, most of the time, stay sober for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes. Well, I wouldn't drink alcohol. Yeah. Um, at this point, I had become very addicted to Adderall, hmm. um, which was prescribed to me for hypersomnolence, uh, which is basically a fancy medical term for feeling sleepy. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I had, to, I had gone to a, the sleep clinic and, uh, you know, they'd done a bunch of tests on me and, uh, you know, me being a, a lying alcoholic and... Uh, mm. You know, I lied to them about how much I slept. I lied to them about mm. how much I drank. And, you know, their, their solution was, well, here, take the stimulant every day to help keep you awake. Mm-hmm. That'll explain why you're tired all the time. So very quickly, I got three of those prescriptions running and, mm-hmm. you know, um, took uh, took enough to uh, probably kill a child and give a, a smaller person a heart attack. And I was <laughs> taking that every day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for three weeks at a time, I was working like 15 hour days, mm-hmm. strung out on stimulants. But of course they had my name on them. So even though it was, that was, you know, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, you know, when I failed the drug test, I just go and talk to the, to the lab and I show mm-hmm. them my prescription and yep. they raise their eyebrows, but say, <laughs> okay. And mm-hmm. <laughs> we move on. Um, so yeah, so three weeks of that. And then I would go home and I would party like a rock star for a mm-hmm. week. Um, fight with my wife and then, uh, neglect my kids and go back, uh, go back up North and do that for another three weeks. Um, missed the, when I missed the birth of my second son, I, uh, you know, talking with my wife said it was time for me to take a job back in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And I did. And at that point I, uh, took the pattern of, uh, you know, three weeks of uh of work and one week of of party and i brought Mm. it back to calgary and at my new job just Mm. that was the beginning of the end because i had those i started living like uh 
living like those one week a month periods, it just became mm-hmm. full time. Um, at home was, you know, my, my wife was, uh, tired and, you know, having young kids is difficult. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't know how to be home. I didn't really want to be home. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my kids and my wife, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. Um, so as a result, I just ended up drinking more and more. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, at that point, uh, some other drugs that I'd previously said I'd, I'd never do mm-hmm. and street drugs started creeping in. Um, oddly enough, through people I met at work. <laughs> At an engineering company. Yeah. Um, that's like a, a weird thing, <laughs> weird thing to say, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I never would have guessed that, to be honest. <laughs> I'd be like, really? Yeah. You know, I mean, out of a, a very large company, you know, yeah. with probably over a thousand people in the office that I worked at, yeah. I, I found the biggest alcoholics to mm-hmm. hang out with and to drink with at lunch and after work. <laughs> You know, at two o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> Whenever we had booze, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, oddly enough, it turned out to even, uh, you know, it's everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it truly is everywhere. Um, yeah. And uh, I got deeper and deeper into my, into the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, just really just started not having any joy in life and just kind of hating myself. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, um, after, you know, the usual cycle of having a bender, waking up in the morning full of shame, full of remorse, mm-hmm. um, having the wife ask me over and over in the morning, why, why do you do this? Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. Telling her, I don't know, which is the worst thing to tell a angry wife. But you really didn't. Which, yeah, it was the truth. I didn't know why, but of course, to someone who uh, wants to have a reason as to, you know, why her her husband is a lunatic and an asshole, Mm. um, I don't know. (laughs) You're like, "Eh, what are you going to do? You know, uh, I, I could uh, I could say it sheepishly. I could say it uh, sarcastically. Mm-hmm. I could say it while I was crying. Uh, I could say it remorsefully. Um, went to uh, started going to ADAC mm-hmm. um, and just doing addictions counseling. I think you know once every two weeks kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, decided I was going to try and. Stopped drinking for for three months. They had a it was called like a cutting back program. Mm-hmm. And, I remember that actually. Um, yeah, hated it, but I remember it. it uh, yeah, I wonder if that ever actually worked for anyone. I don't know. It, uh, Probably it, people like not like us, right? Yeah, it proved to me that uh, I had bigger problems than that. Uh, yeah. So it was quite successful there. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I was going to quit drinking for, for three, three months. Um, longest I ever made it was, uh, five weeks. Um, but that was with the help with a lot of Adderall and some, some weed. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I started to get pretty suicidal. 
at this point. Um, you know, um, things just got really dark for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually, you know, worked out a plan. Like I'd picked a corner where I was going to walk in front of a sea train station. I wanted, uh, wanted my family to, uh, get the life insurance money because I figured that was the best thing I could do for them mm-hmm. was make it look like an accident. You know, yeah. um, I certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't really helping them or good for them. And, uh, looking back, you know, quite selfishly figuring that that was, that was the absolute best thing that I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, took me to, uh, yeah, kind of the night of my last drink, um, which, when I woke up in the morning, I, I did not know that, that was going to be the, the night of my last mm-hmm. drink. Um, I had, uh, I was not drinking at that point. Um, my family, I had, uh, my birthday's in August and mm-hmm. I had made it through Stampede without drinking, which I was really proud of myself. Uh, that was a, a really big accomplishment. So I, my first sober Stampede was before my last drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had, uh, my family was uh, away and I did have a pretty spectacular relapse while they were gone in late July. Mm. Um, but I had gotten away with it, you know, despite being a pretty, you know, uh, pretty big 24 hour bender and, mm. you know, um, I don't know. There, there, there were no immediate consequences. Yeah. Um, so I'd kind of figured, ah, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I woke up that, that morning and, uh, you know, um, I said, uh, told my, uh, one and a half year old son that, uh, you know, I would see him when I got home, that mm-hmm. I'd get home early, uh, kissed my wife, uh, kissed my baby, um, said I'd be home early and honestly meant it. And I wanted to go home. And, you know, I wanted to be that dad. I wanted to be that mm-hmm. husband. Um, I loved my kids and my wife as best I could. Um, went to work and some people went out for lunch. Okay, I'll go out for lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and a uh, couple more ordered a beer. You want a beer? No, I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, lunch goes on a little, you know. Little later, mm-hmm. uh, finish my food, finish my pop. Uh, they order a second beer, and now at this point, I guess I I could I could leave and go back to work, or I could hang out with my colleagues and friends and mm-hmm. just shoot the shit, just shoot the shit. Second beer, mm-hmm. just sitting there, once again staring, watching people drink, not eating at this point, not drinking uh, my pop. I, you know, just mm-hmm. starting to get itchy, and then you know, suddenly that that idea pops into my head that. Uh, well, you know, you, you got away with it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just have one beer and then you can go back to work and no one will ever know and you'll get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I had ordered beer and had that one beer. And uh, God, did it taste good. Mm-hmm. And then it was, okay, well, two beer and then I'll go back to work. And then it was three beer and I'll go back to work. Then it was crap. Um, I probably shouldn't go back to work. Um, I'll stop drinking. I'll go home and see my family. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, whatever, just to lie to work. And, um, yeah, you know, I'll be home in time, see my kids. Um, uh, everything will be good. Mm. Um, and then it was, oh, I'm too drunk to see my, uh, mm. see my kids. So, um, I'll lie about having to work and then mm. I'll sober up and then I'll go home. Um, and then very quickly it was six o'clock and I hadn't gone back to work and, uh, my wife and my son were waiting on the doorstep for me mm. and I let them sit there and wait for me for an hour and didn't show up. Like I said, I was going to, um, I was drunk. Um, wife was suspicious and just it something in me snapped. Mm. Uh, I picked a fight with her. I started yelling at her for absolutely no reason, mm. just so I could be justified not going home that night. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it turned into, uh, we were waking up at about 8 a.m., um, just kind of with this, what the fuck just happened? Mm. You know, like, just thinking back to that morning before how I had, had the best of intentions mm-hmm. and how I had failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just so happened by chance or divine intervention, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that it depends. I uh, <laughs> had a regular scheduled um, addictions counseling meeting there. Mm. And my wife was furious and uh, we went in to the, the addictions counselor uh, together. Mm-hmm. Uh, she spilled the beans on a bunch of stuff that I was lying about um, this point I had kind of half decided that I was just going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just the kind of final piece of proof that I needed. And, uh, yeah. And just a, a moment of clarity, I kind of spilled the beans on everything in yeah. front of the addictions counselor and my wife. Um, and, uh, yeah, he flat out told me, he's like, you need to go to treatment and you need to go to treatment tomorrow or mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, there's lots of places in Alberta, there's free places, there's whatever. Um, you know, uh, there's places though that can take you tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, they're in BC, they're, you know, they cost money and they're for profit. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, that day he kind of, he saved my life. Yeah. Um, I remember asking... Asking about a 12 step, the 12 steps, I wanted to go to a non 12 step program. Um, my dad had taken me to my first AA meeting when I was 16 or 17. Yeah. Uh, just happened to be a birthday meeting by chance. Um, I remember, uh, remember from AA the word God a lot. Mm -hmm. Remember there were old people that told long, boring stories and I remember there was cake. I like the cake. The other two. I, yeah, uh, cake is the only redeeming quality. Yeah. <laughs> I really had no interest in, that, in any of that other stuff. Um, Certainly not old fucks telling boring stories. No. <laughs> uh, you know, I had uh, gone to church growing up, and uh, mm-hmm. I think at one point I had given it an honest try. I had, you know, prayed as the best way that I could, that I knew how, mm-hmm. to, to God, to try to find the belonging it didn't work, so therefore, mm-hmm. that was obviously bullshit. Um, at this point, also, you know, I had that whole paradigm of a of a giant ego and no self esteem. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, my view on religion at at the time 
despite being suicidal and pretty well virtually hopeless mm-hmm. was that uh, you know religion was for for the weak willed the weak minded mm-hmm. the sheep that you know that I was smarter than that and mm-hmm. um anyway yeah i uh I did not want to go to AA. I did not, despite being desperate and hopeless, I did not want to go to AA. I did not want to go to a 12-step program. I did not want to have anything to do with the word God, which I assumed was straight religion. Mm -hmm. I figured I'd have to join a church if I was part of AA. Um, Well, they happen in churches too, right? Yeah. Yeah, the meetings are always in freaking churches. (laughs) Uh, Funny enough, we're sitting here in a church talking about it. (laughs) And there's like an AA meeting, not in this room, but right downstairs. Oh, there you go. Um. Anyway, the uh, he, he, he had a counselor, and uh, probably get him in trouble if uh, <laughs> you know if I identified him. He basically mm. lied to me and said, "Nope." <laughs> like he, he knew better. Yeah. Uh, that man saved my life uh, by good on him telling me, seeing how sick I was, mm. seeing how desperately I needed help, and telling me what it took to get me to a treatment center. Mm. Um, so within. 36 hours, I was uh, in a treatment center. Good for that um, guy, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I owe a debt of gratitude to him. Mm. Um, I impulsively went. I did not know anything about the treatment center. Mm. I like checked the website for a total of five seconds, and um, I was very surprised when I got there and they asked for a $20,000 deposit. No shit. If I had known that they were going to do that, yeah. I would have never gone. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, you know, expected treatment to kind of be like jail. Like I expected that I was going to have to sleep with my back against the wall, mm. be around a bunch of addicts who are going to try and shank me and, you know. like Most likely try to rape you, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I also <laughs> packed a bathing suit and was very disappointed when I found out there was no pool. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's so funny, dude. I expect to be raped and beaten and murdered. But they're swimming. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> I fucking um, love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure what I was thinking. <laughs> I just a, a random collection of yeah. uh, of thoughts. Um, <laughs> anyway, I went there and I was really shocked that there was a bunch of people that kind of seemed just like me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it was a, a treatment center that uh, was for the wealthy. Um, mm. you know, cause they, uh, they took people with no notice. You could basically mm. go up and if you, if you had money, you could, yeah. <laughs> you could, uh, you could get in. And, um, as a result, there was a, you know, it was a nice facility at, uh, mm-hmm. the setting. It was on Vancouver Island kind of reminded me of school camp, you know, like yeah. we, we stayed in cabins and <laughs> bunk beds and, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, there was the forest and, mm-hmm. uh, um, so at the treatment center, there was cabins and bunk beds too. Yeah. Yeah, oh, like wow. that's where we slept. Oh my goodness! I thought you were talking about camp still. No, no. Well, that sounds delightful. Yeah, um, <laughs> even though there's no pool. I, that was disappointing. Yeah. Um, it's Vancouver Island. I thought everywhere had a pool. I would make that assumption too. Uh, but yeah, I did you know it was just full of people that seemed really normal and, mm. and kind of like me. So when I got to treatment, um, I think the first night. Um, there was a uh, an AA meeting, and it wasn't so much treatment uh, as it was that first AA meeting that mm. really I, I suddenly realized that, hey, I, maybe I've 
maybe I've actually found what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. You know, my entire life, I knew that something was wrong with me. Something was very wrong with me. I knew that, you know, (laughs) that from my earliest memory of, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I always feel crappy and I'm always in trouble and people are always angry at me. Therefore, there's, you know, something's really wrong with me. Yeah. Um, and for the first time I thought maybe, maybe, maybe I have an answer. This Mm -hmm. is really weird. Um, and I remember leaving that AA meeting with just kind of a, a sense of hope that I hadn't had before. Um, and, uh, in the following couple of weeks, um, yeah, I, I very much bought in it, you know, um, that I was an alcoholic, that I was an addict. Um, the addict part, uh, took longer actually. I, uh, when I showed up at treatment, um, mm-hmm. I brought my Adderall with me and it had a, you know, had my name on it and everything. And I was really shocked when they took that away from me mm-hmm. that they would not let me walk around treatment with a bottle full of Adderall. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they uh, they had to. It wasn't until a couple weeks later, and they had asked me a few times whether it was okay to destroy it or not, because mm-hmm. I was, you know, that one was actually harder for me to to buy into. Um, but nonetheless, I uh, mm-hmm. I, I did, um, and treatment was great in that um, it gave me that willingness, and it, you know, um, I knew that I had a had a problem. I knew that I was an alcoholic and an addict by the time I left there. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, going from kind of not caring about my life to being deeply afraid yeah. for my life. Um, had a couple of moments that really stick out in treatment. Um, one of them, you know, in treatment, I went through a, a lot of guilt and shame and remorse and trying to figure out why I had done all the things that I had done. Um, and I remember at one point a, a counselor just stopping me and saying, Wes, you're trying to understand insanity, mm-hmm. right? Um, if it made sense and you could figure it out, it wouldn't be insanity. Mm-hmm. It would be sane mistakes, Right, it's part of the you know going back to step two. Mm-hmm. You know, it's <laughs> restore us to sanity. Therefore, yeah. we were insane. Quit trying to understand insanity, and that was just for some reason this mm-hmm. this really big turning point. Because up until then, it was always a I was trying to figure out why I was the way I was, why you know, um, blaming myself, trying to blame others, trying to blame a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much a, you know my analytical mind needed to understand and assign blame yeah um and that was a big point for me going back to right when you know when i started this Mm -hmm. that you know getting to the point where i could accept that i i was responsible for my alcoholism i was responsible for my actions but Mm -hmm. that i did not necessarily cause them and that you know that i'm i I don't have to figure out this this insanity that (laughs) that i felt and that i did i just had to be responsible for it Mm -hmm. um which was a uh, was a big one, and uh, the other one was the uh, was the big God. Mm-hmm. Um, I had said prayers prior to that yeah. in earlier childhood. Uh, by this point in my life, I'd become quite belligerent mm-hmm. towards religion, quite belligerent towards any kind of higher power. Um, looking back, oddly enough, the only reason there was times in my life where the only reason I didn't kill myself was because. 
I was afraid that the possibility I might go to hell. So mm-hmm. there was still some belief there somehow. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember from church being told that if you kill yourself, you go to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's certainly... That's some won't. bullshit, dude. <laughs> that is some bullshit. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I remember having trouble reconciling that because my grandfather killed himself. Mm-hmm. And just being like, oh, so... That's so why so I my, think it's bullshit. My grandfather's in hell. Cool. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's true, right? <laughs> yeah. I just think that's yeah, bullshit. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't actually believe in a in a heaven and a hell yeah me neither sorry man i didn't mean to get you off topic yeah but uh anyway yeah probably not a very good or healthy idea but it saved my life Mm -hmm. uh, a couple times so um but i didn't really have a a belief or Mm -hmm. you know something in god um but at some point i got afraid enough and desperate enough that I was open to suggestions and it looked like, you know, the people that were coming in and out of the meetings and the counselors and the outside meeting that I went to mm-hmm. and the, you know, uh, people who seemed to be doing the best in the program prayed and believed in mm-hmm. God or a higher power. Um, so at that point I decided that I, I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still really uncomfortable with it. So, um, it was against the rules, but, uh, my first kind of more genuine prayer, my first prayer in, uh, in recovery, um, I, uh, snuck out into the forest, uh, and surrounding the treatment center mm. and, uh, made sure that no one was close to me. And I just started talking out loud, mm. it was something along the lines of, if there's something out there, uh, I'm going to start talking and, uh, mm-hmm. it'd be cool if you listened and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really very much didn't want to be seen by anyone, didn't want to make any commitments, didn't mm-hmm. want to, you know. Uh, the good thing was that I was, I was open-minded at that point because mm-hmm. at that point I realized that that I knew nothing and um, that kind of, you know, I, I was taking it from a, a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a personal relationship that, you know, I wasn't going to let anything else define. Um, but at the same time, too, it was basically starting from scratch. Um, yeah, which is kind of good. Yeah, it was in a lot uh, of ways. It was good, you know. I mean, I, I guess you de- do need to learn to crawl before you run. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't say good like it's good or bad. I, I mean, that's effective. Yeah, starting from zero and yeah. building your way it, up. It definitely worked early on. I mean, today I kind of I have a conception. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not a conception. I uh, have a working understanding of what I call God, mm-hmm. uh, which you know still don't really have defined or understand. And yeah. I really get myself in trouble when I try and put a box around yeah, me too. what I understand and try and define it and figure it out mm. and make rules for how the universe works and, yeah, <laughs> you know, assign thing. spiritual credits. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like the you guy know. who says, oh, that icicle goes that direction because God willed it. And it's like, What? Yeah. Come on. Uh, okay. Well, cool. And, uh, Precisely. Then God must have willed the Rwanda genocide too. Exactly where I go when people <laughs> say shit like that. Eh? It's like, oh yeah, God will. Come on, man. Like the laws are the laws for a reason. The laws of yeah. physics and all that. You know, I get to the point where I don't understand it. Uh, That's but, a good place uh, to be, man. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something out there and mm-hmm. it probably does. And I'm pretty sure I'm not meant to understand it. So... If you're having a relationship with it, I think is the important thing, right? Yeah. So when I stay there, I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, when I go away from there, which I frequently do, I yeah. get myself in trouble. I can totally picture you out in the woods, eh, on the island, like having this conversation. Yep. 
It sounds like an honest conversation, and usually those are the ones that lead us to God, interestingly yes. enough. Yes. Yeah. Um, early on, I kind of, uh, and this, I have to say, is, is pre-Disney for us, mm-hmm. but I kind of I believe that uh, <laughs> Pre-Disney. Disney absolutely destroyed anything Star Wars for me. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit that I ever liked Star Wars. Uh, Just because of what Disney did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, man. I'm, uh, you know, I'm old school. Um, I, yeah. You know, just kind of this this life force, this um, – I had a lot of self-hatred. So mm-hmm. I had trouble believing in a God that loved people because I hated myself and I kind of mm-hmm. hated people. I saw the worst in people. I saw the worst in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of only got a belief through being in the forest and just the mm-hmm. – the appreciation, the awe, the respect for the trees. The mm. I used to love walking and just touching the moss on the trees mm. and how soft it felt and how I could just feel life mm. coming off it, even though it kind of seemed like an inanimate object. It, yep. was, it was alive and I could tell that it was alive. People hug those things, man. Yeah. Like legit hug them for that reason. Yeah, I was, I guess I, I wasn't really a tree hugger. I was a tree touchy molester. feely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to make that joke because like a couple weeks ago we had like the, one of the heads of ICE on the podcast, the Integrated Child Exploitation. So like I had to make that joke. It's been waiting like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Tree molester. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You just had to be the recipient. You're a horrible person. I know. I'm terrible. <laughs> but I still like you. So Thank you. Thank you very me? much. <laughs> it's, it says that we're just two horrible people alike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I came to the right place. I don't think you're horrible, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, I have my moments, like we all do. Yep. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I suddenly realized that uh, you know another one of these logical moments where it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, I, I, I'm alive. Whatever mm. something created this, and this is amazing. Yeah. And that thing probably created me too, and probably created people too. Mm. So. Maybe I should quit being such a Dead. predisposed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should just, uh, you know, give up this whole fucking hating myself and hating people <laughs> thing, which turned out is really hard to do. It's not, not actually just a snap decision, but, uh, you know, kind of a, okay, well, I'm going to open, op- open this back up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to open this, uh, this chapter back up and try and, uh, yeah. try and like myself and, Maybe try and like other people, or mm. at least, you know, a limited subsection of people. Um. <laughs> <laughs> if you can fit in the hole that yeah. I'm making of my hand. You got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know, um, so that's kind of wh- where my spirituality started, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- with those uh, with those key seeds. Um, so treatment was absolutely mandatory and very good Mm -hmm. um for me and that uh it got me believing i was an alcoholic and addict wanting to stay sober started a spiritual connection um turned out it took a lot more than that Mm -hmm. um you know took a took a lot of work and the part that uh that i really missed in treatment um was uh was giving up control mm. and, uh, you know, was step three. Uh, speakers would come in and I would just get absolutely confused on mm. step three. I did not understand it. I did not, I could not quite accept 
the whole idea of uncertainty mm-hmm. and lack of control and just trusting that things were going to be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was just basically too much for mm-hmm. me. So my kind of idea of step three was that if I tried really hard and prayed really hard, God mm-hmm. would give me the inspiration. I kind of wanted to wake up in the morning, uh, have a shower, and in mm-hmm. the fog, kind of God tells me what I need to do that yeah. day. And then I was more than willing to go out and do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I just needed to be in control. Yeah, I was not ready to let go of that control, you know. Mm-hmm. God, please tell me what you want me to do, and I'll go do it. You know, mm-hmm. give me the strength so that I can go and take care of it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a conundrum. It is, and mm-hmm. it uh, it got me into a lot of trouble. So, um, you know, treatment saved my life. I came out of treatment, and I got uh, got a sponsor right away. Mm-hmm. Went to at least one meeting every day. Um, I started exercising every day. I, you know, I did everything they told me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and tried to will myself and will myself into a into a better life Mm -hmm. um the whole kind of letting go and letting letting god's power come in Mm -hmm. uh that part of part i missed yeah um Interestingly enough, when I got out of treatment, uh, I knew my wife was angry. I, I didn't know that uh, she'd had enough of me. Mm. So uh, I came out. Uh, we were uh, we were separated. Um, oh, shit, man. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not separated at that point, uh, but she did not want me back in the house. Mm-hmm. So I moved into a, uh, a sober living house oh, okay. uh, coming out of treatment. Um, you know, my wife was not ready to have me, uh, have me back in the home. And mm. um, that was a... Uh, I'd done a lot of damage. Um, and over the next few months, despite being the poster boy for treatment and the mm-hmm. poster boy for AA and trying to will myself into being better, um, I did the steps as quick as I could. I found a sponsor that whipped me through the big books. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, within two or three months, two months out of being at a treatment, I was on step nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, done a second step four which i believe was like 160 pages uh, of why i was a bad person and everything wrong i'd ever done mm. and uh you know it was a very self-condemning uh step four rough dude uh yeah i beat the shit out of myself mm. uh and i did it did it thoroughly and mm. fearfully gave yourself uh, a thorough ass kicking <laughs> yes yeah. um and i just went absolutely crazy Mm-hmm. Um, I started, uh, having trouble sleeping. I would, uh, wake up in panic attacks. Um, I, my anxiety got really bad that I would just randomly throw up throughout mm-hmm. the day. Um, and after a while there, I got to the point where I, I, I got delusional. Like after you are, after I was in panic attacks consistently mm-hmm. for weeks on end and sleeping, Two hours, uh, two hours a uh, a night. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I started to lose touch with reality. Yeah. Um, I was going to an aftercare group um, uh, with my treatment center, which was good. And uh, once again, um, someone else kind of just stepped in and saved my life. Um, mm-hmm. 
because it was uh, in January and uh, I just, it was week after week, you know, I'd, I'd show up and I'd be like, this is what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm going crazy. I, uh, I can't sleep. I'm throwing up. I'm, you know, losing weight without trying. I'm, you know, doing all this stuff. And, um, when I'm just, I'm getting worn down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I did that for four weeks in a row. Yeah. And just each week, it was just like a. In the end, I was just waiting to kill myself. Yeah, no like shit. I was just like I'm, 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 I can't keep doing this. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm going crazy. Um. Uh, you know, I'm just waiting for the inevitable, where, you know, I'll get delusional and, um. I didn't want to drink, but mm-hmm. the compulsion had not left me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, every time I passed a liquor store, um, I would get urges to go in and slam a bottle of vodka. Um, I, you know, and so really it was, uh, I did not want to drink. I did not want to die, but I felt at that point that it was inevitable. Mm -hmm. I was just, I was fighting as hard as I could and I was treading water for as long as I could, Mm -hmm. but I knew that. You know, after doing yeah. it for three months, uh, I knew deep down I I can't do this forever, yeah. and sooner or later it's going to come and it is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that in my bones. And uh, one of the uh, guys in the group was a uh, a firefighter, and and in the background too, I was trying to get back to work. I was mm-hmm. I was trying to fix years of addiction in months yeah i was trying to make things better with my wife i was trying to be a parent to my kids that i had never been mm-hmm. um i was trying to make things up with my employer and be a good employee mm-hmm. and you know like I was, I was trying to do everything all at once um anyway so uh after one uh, men's group where i just you know just came in and I had been exceptionally dark and kind of mm. hopeless. Um, the the facilita- facilitators looked at each other and, you know, the group talked and the one guy was a firefighter and it's just like, I'm taking you to the hospital. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to the hospital. You're coming with me right now. Yeah. And just, okay. You know. Well, you knew something was up. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I spent uh, eight days at the uh, Rocky View uh, psychiatric, uh, um, one of the psychiatric wards. Um, it's very embarrassing. I mean, even mm-hmm. now, I feel a certain level of embarrassment over it, but it was absolutely necessary yeah, to I save my that. life uh, again. Um, my... Um, It was kind of the last straw for my wife. Mm-hmm. She had been very patient. Um, I think even coming out of treatment, she had tried to give me another chance, but mm-hmm. she was still really angry, still really hurt, still really jaded. Yeah. Um, absolutely crushed me at the time. And that, well, my last drink was my low with substances. This, That was my emotional low. So mm-hmm. while I was in the psychiatric ward and somewhere safe, uh, she told me that she was leaving me and moving to BC with my boys. Um, and I felt a lot of self-pity. Uh, I felt a little anger, mostly shame. But oddly enough, I had one of those moments of clarity that deep down I knew that 
fighting it was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was not healthy enough to have a relationship with her. I knew that I was not healthy enough to be a husband. I knew I was not healthy enough to be a father. Mm-hmm. I knew, like, I was in a psychiatric ward after being in treatment, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I went from treatment to, <laughs> to the psych ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to the psych ward sober. Like, yeah, that was really embarrassing for me, you know, mm-hmm. being in the psych ward because you've strung out on drugs or because you're, um, mm-hmm. you know, have a substance abuse problem. But I was, I was five months sober and mm-hmm. checked into the psych ward for over a week. Um, and that happens some, just so you know, that happens way more often than people realize. There's some embarrassing shit. <laughs> but there's no, I mean, there's, it happens way more than people realize that people will sober up or clean up and then have to go back to either treatment again while they're yeah. clean and sober yeah. or the hospital, right? Yeah. Basically, it was, you know, that the uh, the thinking and the patterns and the behavior, mm. you know, needed to change more. It wasn't, you know, yeah. taking taking alcohols in my drug, out, taking alcohol and drugs into my life was not was not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there yeah. needed to be more changes. And as much as I tried, uh, you know, uh, there needed to be some, some pretty big changes. Yeah. I wish it, I wish it changed everything. Yeah. It, but it just, it changed the one thing that allowed for other things to change. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was, you know, quite, quite the domino effect. Uh, oddly enough, uh, one of the, to this day, the most genuine prayer I've ever had was a few days before I went to the psych ward mm-hmm. and I woke up in the middle of a panic attack. Um, in the middle of the night, and I just yelled out um, out loud, God, please help me. I'll do whatever you want. Just mm-hmm. please, please help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and his answer was to send me to the, uh, the psych yeah. ward. Um, since I've been out of treatment, I have prayed every day except one. And there was one day in the psych ward where I was furious at God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just like, this is what you do to me. And I did not pray out of spite. Um, quickly realized after that that I needed him. So being spiteful was not a was not a good plan. Yeah, uh, it's an option, but not the best. <laughs> one. <laughs> so yeah, oddly enough, out of everything I've been through and everything I've done, um, I still remember from treatment that one thing that you know mm-hmm. that people who make it, people who do well, pray all the time. Mm-hmm. So I've, uh, despite doing most things wrong, uh, and sometimes I don't give it the time and the attention that it deserves. I, uh, I, I make a point of praying every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I came out of the psych ward just absolutely defeated. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, leaving treatment that or while in treatment thinking I, um, was in there with people who had kind of lost everything mm-hmm. and I came out of treatment and I still had a house. I still had a wife. I still had my kids, um, I still had a car, uh, still had a career. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, I, you know, look at me. I, mm-hmm. I dodged the bullet. And then six months later, I lost all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. I needed to hit that low. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it certainly was an emotional low. Um, oddly enough, the people who visited me the most, at the hospital, mm-hmm. were uh, were AA members. Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't wasn't my family, wasn't my parents, wasn't you know. Yeah. Um, that really surprised me. Um, the other thing that really surprised me was the 
tolerance and acceptance mm-hmm. that I felt like uh, I, I was really ashamed of being there. I felt mm-hmm. like I had failed, especially with my wife, because, you know, I, yeah. I had gone to treatment. I had been away and then, you know, I was working to get back in the house mm-hmm. and I was working to, you know, to do all this stuff. And, you know, that was just the last straw and yeah. my wife couldn't take anymore. Um, but just when I talked to people, you know, like I, you know, I remember there was one meeting at the Rocky View because I mm-hmm. have meetings there twice a week and I went and there was some member from my home group and, you know, saw me in the hospital. It was kind of a, mm-hmm. ah, yeah, he ended up here and he had just assumed I relapsed. And when he found mm-hmm. out I didn't relapse, he was like really proud of me and happy mm-hmm. for me. He's like, oh, I yeah. see people pool all the time and they, you know, they drink and they end up here. And it was just like, good for you, man. You mm-hmm. did the right thing. Yeah. Coming here was the right thing. And it was just so shocking and surprising for mm-hmm. me. Like, coming here was the right thing like you're not disappointed in me like mm. you're you know you're, you're it, it was obviously a really powerful moment because i mm. i haven't talked to this guy in years and i but i i, I remember mm. very much so uh you know just how loving and accepting and encouraging he was mm. that you know um kind of good for you man yeah um and from there you know um I slowly uh, came out of the hospital and, you know, mm-hmm. I um, went on long-term disability and then eventually quit my job when they started a back-to-work program because I knew mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do that. Um, I wasn't ready. Uh, and they were pushing me uh, pushing me to go back before, uh, before mm-hmm. I was. A um, few things changed. Um, one was that I really started at, at square one. I had, like, you know, had to let go of absolutely everything that mm-hmm. I thought I knew. Um, I uh, got accepted into the dual diagnosis program mm-hmm. at the Foothills Hospital, which was massive for me. Yeah. Um, six weeks of day, of day treatment um, and, uh, and then a year of uh, psychiatric and psychological care afterwards, mm-hmm. you know. That's um, a great, that's great, man. Yeah. Good program. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, at that point, kind of, I had, prior to treatment, I had wasted a lot of time in the mm-hmm. mental health system, <laughs> lying or, you know, telling half truths <laughs> or, you know, trying to tackle my problems while medicating them at the same time mm-hmm. and avoiding them at the same time. Um, it was very different going in there sober, mm-hmm. you know, um, I bet. looking, looking at my, uh, my anxiety issues, um, you know, um, learning to deal with my ADHD, uh, with something other than a stimulant, mm-hmm. um, and actually manage the systems, the symptoms and, you know, not take the, not take the drugs. Um, yeah. Uh, tackling the depression, really mm-hmm. looking, taking a hard look at, at my self-worth and, mm-hmm. um, where it was and what had formed it, um, looking at those self-destructive tendencies, you know, Mm -hmm. all things that I had at treatment and in my first step four and five had kind of touched on, but glossed over Mm -hmm. and hadn't really, you know, uh, hadn't, hadn't dug deep enough into. Um, and, uh, it was a long road, but I can say that, you know, coming out of the psychiatric unit, that was definitely my low Mm because after that things, started to gradually get better um 
I switched sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, and a uh, man named uh, Stu took me through the big book, mm-hmm. took me through the steps again, and he took me through the steps as they're in the big book, nothing mm-hmm. else. We we did nothing but read the big book and follow exactly what it said. Yeah. And even though I had done the steps a few times already, um, treatment style and a, you know, a mm-hmm. previous uh, self-will beating on West style, mm-hmm. um, the subtle difference is like, you know, things that I missed, like the, the fear prayer in step four, mm-hmm. the resentment prayer in step four, mm-hmm. um, you know, just subtle differences that Which seem are pretty subtle, vital. but uh, turned out are really fucking important and really big. Yeah. Um, fucking vital, dude. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it went through the steps, you know, mm-hmm. yet again. <laughs> um, and, uh, it was different. Mm-hmm. It was different, uh, you know. And uh, today, I take people through the steps the exact same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking back, Stu, uh, he's uh, passed on now. But when I went through, I remember he was sober for thirty-eight years and had been taking people through the big book pretty well the exact same way for thirty-seven years. Yeah. He said, "Oh, good for him." And um, some of the highlights of my life right now are just passing on and trying to do the exact same thing, mm-hmm. you know, is that uh, it's easy to kind of think about my messages and this and that mm-hmm. and the other. But when I look back to what really worked, it was really, it was just that simple straight out of the book, mm-hmm. nothing added, nothing subtracted. Um, and uh, yeah, taking uh, people mm-hmm. through it, like it's, it's one of, one of the highlights of my life today. Um, my wife, my family, mm-hmm. um, Coming out of treatment, I tried to win my wife back. I tried to chase her. Um, mm-hmm. And oddly enough, it wasn't until I was in the psych ward that uh, I remembered a uh, a conversation with someone that I had that I went to treatment with. Mm-hmm. And he had eventually lost his wife and uh, and kids. And he basically, his wife had told him after they separated, had had one of these kind of, I don't know, odd, honest, looking back conversations. Mm-hmm. And she had said, if you had just looked after yourself, you would have... I would have waited around, but you mm-hmm. spent so much time trying to win me back that, uh, yeah. And not taking care of your shit that, uh, you know, it just wasn't attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I desperately wanted my wife back. I desperately wanted my kids back, mm-hmm. but I knew that that was one of the, one of the hardest things to do was to let go of that and try to be a, good person and then a good father from afar mm-hmm. um i remember first time i went out and visited my kids and uh, my wife uh, had me look after the kids while she went to work mm-hmm. and that was i was left alone with them for like eight hours and i had you know i just dreaded it i didn't mm-hmm. think i could do it and it was just this anxiety filled so something that i prepared myself for for mm-hmm. like weeks ahead of time and worked with a psychologist on and um, but then when I did it, just the feeling of like, I looked after my kids for eight hours. Like mm-hmm. it's, it sounds crazy. It's a very normal thing, but mm-hmm. it was just this massive accomplishment that I went out and I looked after my kids mm-hmm. for eight hours a day for an entire week. And that was something that I never dreamed I'd be able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of funny. It's some of the things that, I, you know, I think are very normal and that I take for granted and, you know, some things that I'm very naturally capable mm-hmm. at. Um, but that was just uh, a massive thing. And, um, I didn't, I didn't chase my wife. 
I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I gave her space. Um, I granted her separation. Uh, I had friends telling me that, you know, I shouldn't let her leave. I could fight her leaving the province. I could fight her this. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I granted her power of attorney over her finances, mm-hmm. uh, which every single person, I did not talk to my parents, my sponsor, my friends, uh, aftercare group, um, my counselor, uh, my psychiatrist. Uh, everyone told me that that was a mistake and I was mm-hmm. being an idiot. And that was one of those moments that deep down I knew that that was the right thing to do. Right I had that. taken advantage of her. I had mm-hmm. been in control. I had, you know, even if she cho- chose to run me through the ringer and mm-hmm. take everything, that at the end of the day, the right thing to do was to give her that peace of mind. And, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of it, um, yeah, I, I signed off on it against the, even when I was signing the lawyer at the office was just yeah. like, you you know, what are sign, you doing, man? I had to sign something, you know, like three different forms saying that this is against legal advice. You know, basically mm-hmm. like, I'll be here and I'll witness it, but I want to make sure that <laughs> we all know that, you know. <laughs> I didn't want him to do it. I've told you this is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I kind of just left her alone and supported her best I could. Mm-hmm. Sent as much money as I could. Uh, tried to be the best father that I could from afar. And uh, this really weird thing happened that suddenly I was attractive to her again. Mm-hmm. Suddenly she she wanted me back. Um, she was still angry at me. Uh, and that's something that we had to definitely work through a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, even after we got back together. But uh, she really wanted me back. Mm-hmm. Like a, you know, just this novel concept that someone that takes care of their shit... <laughs> It's attractive mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to someone who's whiny and needy and always chasing her. Yeah. Um, and or always avoiding her when they're yes. running away. Um, so we, uh, yeah, a couple of years later got remarried in a really corny and fun ceremony uh, on the volcano in, uh, in the Mirage on the Strip in Vegas. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for um, you guys. Yeah. In sobriety, I started, uh, oddly enough, because I wasn't comfortable enough um, working at a regular job and being confined to hours. And I was mm-hmm. very, you know, I was very anxious about committing to something and meeting, you know, uh, having expectations that I couldn't meet. I started just doing a little consulting mm-hmm. and um, that consulting turned into full-time consulting, which turned into full-time consulting plus side jobs, which turned into a, a company with, with partners and employees. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's been really incredible the way that life has grown and things have happened when mm-hmm. I've let go of it, when I've just tried to do the next right thing, mm-hmm. when I've just, you know, quit trying to plan it, quit trying to worry like all the good things that I have in my life today. Yeah. And I have some amazing things in my life all came when I, None of them are a result to my plans. None of them are a result to my scheming. None yeah. of them, you know, they, they're all gifts. Yeah. And they're all gifts that I would not have received had I been planning and scheming and worrying and trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. next. And like, yeah, I still do that. And it's, it drives yeah. me crazy because. Because you know better. I know better. Yeah. And, it, you know, uh, I catch myself all the time and it's just like, I can't believe I'm I, I'm doing that again. But yet the. The instinct and the urge mm-hmm. and the, 
you know. Yeah, why am I getting in the way again? I don't get it. It's so strong. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just when when I think back on my journey in recovery, that is just the the biggest thing is that, you know, faith is about, is truly about letting go. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, for me, it is not just letting go of what I want and what I need, but letting go of what I think, Mm -hmm. what I think needs to happen, what I think is right. Um, I forget how wrong I've, how often I've been wrong Mm -hmm. on what I think is right and wrong. Yeah. Um, what I think about people. Um, you know, I just, uh, when I go back to that and really realize how, how little control I have and how little I know Mm -hmm. and just try and be a, Try and be a tool, you know, try and be a real good tool. <laughs> a useful tool. Yes. Uh, my goal in life is to be a tool. tool. Yeah. <laughs> me too, man. Just make me a tool. Yeah. No, but, you know, try, uh, just try and be in the present and mm. uh, accept the bigger picture, accept that, that I don't know, accept mm. that I'm not going to be able to figure it all out. I'm not going to be able yeah. to, to control the situation and just let it happen. Um, that's when life's good. Yeah. yeah and when things yeah, don't yeah. go my way, um, life's still good. Mm-hmm. There's still that, that, that feeling of being in the, in the, in the correct stream. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. That's all I got. Nice dude. That's pretty damn good. Yep. I've, I've rambled for a while and suddenly it's like, now I'm done. No, thank you. Very, <laughs> thanks very much. Wes, thanks for coming, man. Appreciate you. Really appreciate this. Right on, man. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.